In times like these, being a citizen is a big job. Thank you for joining us to celebrate the virtues of self-rule and debate the state of our republic. Welcome to the Citizen's Prerogative Podcast. This is the voice of your nerdy host, Michael Piscatelli, and we are blessed with a co-host whose passion for our republic precedes him everywhere he goes. Raymond Wong Jr. Thank you, thank you. And I just want to be extremely clear. We did not block the Suez Canal, but we did identify the risk. (laughs) Great. This is episode number 20. We are in season two. And we think the name of this is going to be Decentralize for Resilience. Perhaps for resilience sake. Raymond says for human sake. So just as a nice little prelude, thank you, Ray. We're going to dive back into decentralization, the value of it. We're going to talk about the risks and the problems that we're already seeing and experiencing with the centralized system that's been set up since Bretton Woods after World War II. So we'll talk about it from a business perspective. We've also got some topics related to food, which is near and dear to every human and citizen in the country, um, as well as the typical geopolitics and maybe harp on the environment a little bit. So that's essentially the rundown, and then we're going to dive into it. You said it, Ray. I think I got this right into it, right? Like, yeah, thanks. Like, Suez Canal is where we're kind of jumping right in, because there's no... I realized at some point uh, last week, you know, when, when that incident happened, I said, oh, geez, this is, a, this is an example of, you know, centralization risk. And, and then I thought, wait a minute, did we have our recording before or after? Because we actually talked, spoke about centralization as a risk for the United States. But I don't think we got really too deep into why it, it, it then translates into a risk for the world, right? So what we need to realize is the Suez Canal has shown us something. The model of centralization has some inherent risks. A ship getting slightly bent out of shape and getting nudged is now bringing the global trade network to a halt. And that's because the global trade network is centralized. Where do you think they got that idea, Mike? You know, um, <laughs> this thing was put in place mostly by the United States, but especially the United States, the UK, Europe, Russia, after World War II. Um, and it's interesting because you just think at the high level, consider the fact that the United States was the only country, major country in the world that didn't have war on its shores. We still had factories. We had workers. Um, we had money. <laughs> we had made so much money off of selling wartime materials like we were the preeminent um, power structure that existed on earth after world war ii and i can't emphasize that enough europe had to be rebuilt um russia had lost a huge number of people just to say that um japan had to be rebuilt china um china's a whole nother story we'll take that up later <laughs> but if you think about the entire world basically being decimated and our factories were there to save everyone. And so the whole idea of globalization, the way it's been instituted, has always had our finger on the scale, so to speak. If you think about that saying that I probably have brought up five times in the podcast series uh, that's cut on so far, with great 
power comes great responsibility, right? So when you when the United States was in that position of ultimate power, right? What did we do with it? And unfortunately, the the oligarch was already well established, so there, it was none of our concern as citizens, right? We really had no say in how the new world order would go forward after the world wars. It was the people in power. And unfortunately, uh, centralization was the model. Everyone thought, hey, it's really good. Centralize the monetary system, centralize the production chain, uh, centralize, centralize the club and the exclusion. So what they were actually practicing is the, 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 the mechanized um, segregation that the United States is so good at, they just employed it at a global scale. So when you control all of the strings, right, the inherent nature of your um, exclusionary system, which we all know exists post social justice, right? So if the United States itself within its own people has a systems of checks and balances to keep people down, it's happening at the world stage, right? So this centralization also becomes a point of control. And it's why China is able to manipulate us so much or affect us. Our centralization has made us vulnerable to China's seas. So I think that's, uh, that's the issue is that centralization is good for everyone at the top and nobody at the bottom. Yes, it, it did a great job of elevating a few over the many on a global scale um, for the sake of profit profit first <laughs> well, uh, let's go back to history you know it's one of my favorites right i think this is a good place to travel back in time and you know china is going to have a strategic advantage over us always and we have to realize that as a nation it's it's the days are over where our sheer power and brand is enough to put fear into people they now have they they see our card and they understand that uh, we're not sure how to play our hand yet or, or how or why. So people are going to challenge us. In that sense, we lose the strategic advantage, ladies, ladies and gentlemen, because China has home court. Okay, The entire rest of the world is neighbors with China. So logistically speaking, centralization is a risk because we modeled it and China is now taking the worst parts of it and, and pushing it at a global scale. And just as a couple examples, right? The Three Gorges Dam, we should have seen it as the first example of them trying to really take a foothold in the region and control it. I'm sure a lot of those military ships are coming out of that Three Gorges Dam project. Uh, damn sure. I don't know if there is anything good about centralization, but I promise you, I am trying to find it but it leads to, to bad things. Centralization, so China, and China is playing an old card, and that's the good news, ladies and gentlemen, is that they're not trying anything new because they don't necessarily have, communism doesn't breed a creative society, and that's the good news for us, right? So um, aside from building a wall, which it shows here in the United States, we've gotten away from creative and arts and such, and and, and we tried to rebuild a wall, which is not a creative idea. Same thing in China. They are rebuilding the Silk Road, right? So they're, they're investing in their ports and their ships. Well, ladies and gentlemen, China already had the largest fleet at one time. They already had a powerful fleet that crossed the oceans and, and they burned it and they sunk it. They invented the gun, okay? They invented the gun 
and then eventually were taken down by it by the Europeans. Like, how do you invent a weapon and then not successfully utilize it? So in that sense, we have one thing going for us is that we haven't done anything new or innovative, but neither have they. So we really need to step back and look at centralization as a key risk because they're just doing what we did. And now it's just two of us, right? We have two centralized systems that are basically going to compete when if, when, if China turns that dial. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and they see it as you know, them versus, well, everybody always sees it as them, ourselves versus the world, unless you're working, you know, collaboratively, collaboratively with other countries. Uh, as far as centralization and the values of it, I mean, it, it is valuable, but it, it, it's a tool again, right? It um, depends on how you use it. And so we won't go into the, the value proposition side of this, because really, we're just focusing on what's happening right now in the world as far as globalization is concerned and also the geopolitical aspect of that right you mentioned that there's two essentially two emergent systems that china's been steadily working on with belt and road um, to compete to throw its own weight and partially because of the the superior position or whether you want to argue who has advantages or disadvantages with international trade deals that get cut. Um, I'm sure none of them are particularly fair and there's always a reason for somebody to feel slighted by them. But China has felt like it's always been them versus the world ever since the revolution. And so it's no surprise that they they see Western powers lie, cheat, steal, and that they emulate Western powers lie, cheat, and steal. Why, why are we going to take the high road when the high road isn't being traveled by anybody? Um, just for the sake of it. And that was actually something we were supposed to do. Our ideals, idealistically, right? We, even if in the moment we can't act out in the way that makes the most sense from a principle perspective, that we're setting the stage so that we all are moving more towards a principled perspective into the future, that you're starting to establish and, and, um, move towards rules that are fairer. And I think all of that modeling is, is broken down um, for the sake of uh, self-interest and for profit and, you know, without, w without any vision, without any long-term goal other than enriching certain groups. And that's, that's why global econo economics is failing <laughs> for that and many reasons, but it's also the major backlash around the world, this fascist uprising, whatever you call it, whether whatever ism you want to use to describe it. The point is the prevailing global structure hasn't been great for the many. And so the many are looking around like, well, WTF, you know, people have their own planes and some of us still can't eat. What, what is fair about that? The system is not fair. It's not treating people fairly. And everyone has a gripe, a, a, a righteous <laughs> gripe, I think. Maybe um, we should um, corner WTF, like the, the World Trade Federation. <laughs> <laughs> but like, and what it really means is WTF. And we, and we kind of like, we're, let's just corner that, right? We'll go ahead and make a shirt for everyone. Uh, and, and then so World Trade Federation, which is WTF, which is just saying, what is going on here? And, and Mike, I just kind of jump in because I don't want to forget. Okay, let's please, please 
like so many news organizations and other organizations forget, can we speak about the people that are really the victims here? Um, not just us, who are the modern day slaves, like we've said in, in other podcasts, all of the general population of the world right now is the new modern day slave to the system um, that they've created for us. But the, the, all of this, all of this that's going on right now, the people that are impacted is, 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 is Africa, okay? The motherland of all of us, mm-hmm. Africa. Africa and, and, and China's mission is to get into Africa and do not fall for this idea that China's investing and there's all this going on. There's, you know what, there's been tons of investment in Africa. It's mining equipment and it's, it's, it's equipment to pool and shipping yards. And, and, and what, has, what have they seen in that continent, right? So please, we are saying that centralization benefits everybody at the top. And at the bottom, we, I'm not even talking about us. I'm not even talking about the, 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 the industrialized countries. I mean, Africa, we're taking from them. We took their people as slaves. We're taking their precious metals in the modern era and, and we're leaving them with nothing. So centralization is a criminal and it hurts us. Especially when we use it as a tool in such a way, I mean, you know, centralization for efficiency's sake maybe works well within an individual business, but maybe not a whole system of businesses. You know, the the system needs to take a different opposing model to create some kind of balance. Um, and we haven't seen that. So, you know, as far as solutions go, we're we're harping on centralized the centralized system that we have now because it's really brittle. It's it's big. It's painful for many, um, and it's really only benefiting the few. And its design was probably poisoned at the start uh, and never really had a chance of, of fulfilling anything greater than lining certain groups' pockets. So with that in mind, what's the opposite? What is yeah. the balance? You know, it's what is it? small, what is it? local. It's, is it local? What do you mean local? Like you mean like small? When you mean small, you mean like smaller buildings, right? You mean like... People just need to build smaller buildings and that, that then the big companies just have smaller buildings and we'll be good. No, small, small companies, small businesses um, for the many. I mean, what's, what's better than one CEO, 12, 40, maybe a hundred CEOs, a thousand in, in place of the one, you know, these big, big things, the, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And so we really need to look at reversing all of the consolidation that's been happening, not just during the pandemic, but since trickle-down economics failed theory has come to bear on our shores. Um, and, and it's everything from economics. We already touched on energy not too long ago, so we don't need to talk about how poorly maintained or how, the grid is old and it solved an old problem. We need to update, revise, replace how we do energy, also food. So I think today we're just going to focus a little bit on small businesses again, because that's the broadest swath. And then we can talk a little bit about food or a lot about food for human sake. And every citizen in the country, I mean, that's what you run on. It's your fuel, quite literally. It's what your body is made out of and what your cells regenerate itself using as building blocks. So, um, but small business, Ray, I mean, Thousands of CEOs, more than we have now. Sounds great to me. 
it's, it's such a strange idea. You know, I suppose that's where it started is that originally America was built for many CEOs because we surely have more buildings of little legacy headquarters around than we actually have CEOs now. And I, I think that this strange thing happens that you have to have a market, let the market decide, right? But what if there is no market? If there are only, you know, if there are only or 500 the companies. The market's rigged. It's easier to rig when there's rigged. fewer fewer companies. Sorry, I didn't mean to derail you. No, no. I mean, that's, that's exactly the point, right? If the market is rigged, and that's the point we're saying is that we're not saying that this is wrong. This isn't the way it should be. What we are saying is that in diversity and oversight, the more players, the more difficult it is to have a great coup, the more difficult it is to do what Michael said, rig the system against you. That, that's the point. So bringing it down, bringing down the temperature, making it smaller. And, and I'm sorry, that means that you can only make a billion dollars a year, some CEOs. I'm sorry, like maybe that's all because it just doesn't make sense to scale much bigger because taking your company larger would damage the environment, right? Amazon moving to its model and taking out the mom and pop stores means that instead of large, large inventory boxes and pallets being delivered, to store doorsteps, we have tiny boxes going to thousands of doorsteps. That doesn't have an impact on ecology. All of these new trucks, Amazon trucks cruising the neighborhood. You know what kids are gonna have memories of now is those Amazon trucks and these UPS trucks and these FedEx trucks. There was nothing like that when I was younger. Why? Because all of that was more controlled at the local stores. Yeah, and what you're getting what you were getting in the past was probably a far better product or a higher quality product rather than this molded plastic that was shipped across the ocean from China. Or, and I'm not or, knocking what China produces. That's yeah. just an accurate description of us pumping oil out of the earth to create a toy to ship it across the ocean with more oil, right. <laughs> put right. it in a box that we used water to create that we need to drink. Never mind those plastics, but this is a, these are all, and you can go on all day about that, that centralization challenge, but yeah. you may, we want to remind everyone um, because we are here to talk about citizens prerogative and how you control it, right? How you control it. So how did we get here as citizens? At one point, remember, uh, you can look at our previous episodes if you had, did not hear this, but the, the government systematically eliminated competition and currency and, and banking and all of the above, right? The centralized bank as we know it today came about, but originally the states had their own currencies. Uh, they had, everyone thinks cryptocurrency is this new great thing, right? But uh, they were kind of doing it and they were doing it with precious metals back in the old days. They, they had individual currencies, there was no centralization. And why did that create a problem? Was it a problem for power? Was there genuinely a need to centralize? You know, I wasn't there, but can we look back and say, why did we overlay this system? And can we remove it now that we have technology to help us handle the craziness of decentralization? You're, you're proposing a, a proliferation, wow, I couldn't say that word, of currencies. You, you wanna see competition in currencies more so, even within the United States as a is that the alternative you're putting out there? I think what I'm saying is I'm waiting to see if the government decides they're going to attack crypto. I, I'm just, I'm more wait and see. I'm saying well, that- right now, this, right now they're treating it like an asset. So it, it'll right. be interesting to see what happens. But 
Um, I, I'm not a proponent of uh, what I'm saying. What I guess what I am saying is that there's no actual system, right? So the obsession with our current system is misplaced. Oh, and I, well, I, yeah. yeah, but back to the motivation, which is, I think, the springboard we jumped off of. And I think it's convenience. I think we got here because of convenience more than um, a competition, you know, the currency issue in the past. Um, but currency is something we, you know, we'll, we'll need to look at because there is emerging things to be considered in that space for sure. Um, but ultimately, it's it was divorcing us from the supply chain through marketing, right? Don't worry about where your food comes from. Don't worry about where this box comes from. And it's all about convenience. It's just, you know, why should you have to spend all day preparing a good meal when you can now spend half the time because we've done half the prep and, you know, whatever started in the 50s, that's just continued forward with consumerism and just in time and I need it now or yesterday and this immediate gratification, the just the justification of this whole system and motivation comes from from that. We were lulled in a way, lulled into this and we're told it's okay it's okay don't worry about shopping with your dollars for the sake of the environment we'll take we'll take that concern or worry off your shoulders what matters to you is you get your things when you want them when you need them etc would you agree what i'd say is have you ever noticed how light money is when it comes to adoption <laughs> right what's better if you want to carry around a heavy sack of silver or gold <laughs> what's better than a light note that you can carry around in your purse and say, oh, this is worth a full silver. So, you know, they systematically manipulated us away from precious metals so they could control the situation, right? So, so they could have all the gold locked in the vaults of, of the nation, and then they could give us paper, and it was convenience. I'm glad you said that, Mike, because, again, there was no well, I, I wasn't talking about currency. I was talking about why Amazon's so big, but that's bringing how, it back to us, right? That's the first example. Oh. Like, look how easy they made it. They, they turned this heavy... They because originally it was weighted against silver. Well, and, and then you know, they right, came the value out of the cards. dollar was against. Oh so my you didn't gosh, even that's have even to have bills anymore. What's <laughs> well, so the You could carry thousands of dollars, and they were very light. Oh my gosh, it's we've been trained. So yeah, and long. you can't do anything with that piece of plastic. It's the you know, it's the actual electronic piece yeah. of that that actually anything happens, right? So if power goes out. You used to be able to open a door, but then they invented the uh, the door jar, the ledge, right? Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I mean, they'll take the information and charge you later, but ultimately it is a way of centralizing transactions for sure. And it gives people, it gives central oversight a, a bigger view because they don't have a view of any cash transactions um, outside of a register. Yes. And everything electronic goes through the Fed. You know, it's important to always remember that's that's not some secret. Um, if you do your research, you'll understand that um, it, besides the paper that we exchange to each other, for the most part, the Fed has control and eyes on everything we do uh, through the established payment networks. And on that note, how about a word from our sponsor, Citizen Do Good. Fulfilling a dream where all possess an intrinsic love for self-rule that is reciprocated with free speech and equal justice under the law? Citizen Do Good values this promise and all of the amendments to the Constitution. This including the original core documents. Taken together, they form a framework and an operating manual for the Republic. 
and it provides us with the means to change with our times. The time is now to deeply re-examine our current implementation of governance for the dawning of a new day. We are a proud sponsor of the Citizens Prerogative Podcast, a major partner in spreading the good word about civic love and the power for change for us all. Help us to stay on mission and grow this community by rating the podcast with five stars on iTunes, through the app on the web, or on your device. If you don't feel like you can give us five stars, let us know why on our sponsor's Facebook page, Citizen Do Good. Like and follow it to help out even further. Also, make sure you join our newsletter at citizendogood.com. You'll get updates every couple of months on all of our antics, not just the podcast. While you're there, check out the shop, which has your favorite merch, and provides a way to make a one-time contribution to help us pay for production and hosting. Feel free to share any suggestions you have directly through the Contact Us page. Thanks for your support. So, uh, I, you know, I, I, pr- I pride myself on being a productivity expert. You know, I've done it for my career. I was productive myself. And I force people to be productive all the time. But now I use my powers for good, I promise, I try. But I think that I, I, you know, being that, I've really thought about this Suez Canal situation. And from what I understand, it's disrupted about 20% of global traffic. And, and, you know, so it seems like the best thing to do, you know, now that we've learned our lessons is maybe we should bring 20% resiliency you know, back to stateside, just in case a canal, one canal blocked causes 20% of world production to fail. That's crazy, right? Or there's a, there's a coronavirus and it's best not to be doing a bunch of international trade. And so 20%, let's just start there. I know, let's not get crazy. I know jobs in America, but uh, 20%, let's bring the resiliency back. I think that's a good goal. What do you think, Mike? Sounds like a solution. 100%. Yeah. Um, we need to be building things here, consuming things here, um, you know, producing and spending our money in our culture and our society and in, in, in hopes that uh, the better lives that we build here for one another becomes like the model for the national stage. And, and we can finally put to bed you know, that age old strong arm requirements like, oh, you need to have an authoritarian state in order for it to survive. No, no, no. We're really smart humans. We can figure out how to do this together. We um, always have. We always have. And yeah. and especially on the ground in communities, when we remember that we do depend on one another, marketing has divorced us so much from our neighbors from our butcher, <laughs> um, you know, and it's affecting our lives. It's affecting our health. Um, we'll talk about nutrient density and food quality and making sure that you pick things when they're ripe and eat them when they're fresh. That is how we evolved. That is how we're supposed to have nutrients. And that is how it's easy to maintain healthy BMI. It's healthy, um, you know, to go outdoors. And we won't talk about exercise and all that because that's a separate thing. I mean, I think food is fundamental. Food is fundamental. And if you're eating nothing but Big Macs, no amount of exercise is going to give your body what it needs to survive. You know, and I don't mean to pick on any one type of thing, but that's just, you know, conceptually the thing is that's the big fast food, right? The, the maybe biggest example. Um, I just want to throw out a study before I turn this over, but uh, the UK just wrapped up a study and they were, they were looking at the prevalence of Alzheimer's and how processed and unprocessed meats play a factor 
and whether or not people exhibit, you know, more or less symptoms um, or exhibit the disease more or less. Long story short, um, men of a certain age, similar age in the UK, working class, overweight, um, ate uh, breakfast every morning and they studied the men who had, and they all have a, a genetic predisposition to Alzheimer's. So they feel like they're looking at an Alzheimer's group, essentially, whether they exhibit symptoms now or not. During the study, they gave them all they all they consciously changed about the diet. Who knows what else happened? Diet's difficult to study. But some would eat sausage and some would eat unprocessed meats, like, you know, maybe a traditional steak just cooked, you know, cut and cooked. Um, no processing to it, no sausage making happening, no pres preservation activity, you know, above and beyond what's relatively natural. Come to find out from this study um, is that <laughs> the people who ate the processed meats had a, a severe market noticeable increase in um, prevalence of Alzheimer's and development of Alzheimer's and progression of it versus the people who ate unprocessed meat in moderation uh, actually gave they, their health improved a little bit during the study. Not only did they not increase their prevalence um, or symptoms of Alzheimer's. So what we eat, how we eat it, when we eat it, where it came from, are vital. Talk about the food waste situation we were talking about earlier, Ray. I mean, our system isn't designed. This is an area where efficiency should be applied, right? It's a small system. It's tightly closed for a specific purpose. Distribute food to hungry people. And guess what? We probably have more than enough, don't you think? Well, let's talk something that touches every citizen, okay? Something that everyone knows, everyone's willing to talk about and, and personally probably has a relationship with potatoes. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Michael potatoes are being dumped in the ground, tons of potatoes. So folks, you have to understand the potato story is a complex one. We don't have the time, but I'm going to tell you the brief story of Mr. Potato and not the one that the, that the other, the propaganda groups are trying to spin up. I'm talking about the potato, our friend. So as our grocery stores, started to centralize throughout the 90s and we all saw it right we you, i know that your your grocery store has the old name that you remember but behind it it's another centralized grocery store so as these grocery stores are centralizing and all the mom and pop grocery stores are going away the potato is under under attack right because then they got to make sure that their supply chains are very clean and their and their and their inventory is very clean so they only want a couple types of potatoes right so now retail our supply grade. chain is limited retail grade potatoes and there are three potatoes which apparently it's the only one americans ever wanted in their lives but that's the ones that the markets have chosen to feed us right so they're in the restaurants they're everywhere so what happens pandemic hits the centralized system is is now damaged because nobody's consuming it right so the distribu distribution centers which we've already spoken about uh, which would normally be distributing are now dumping potatoes in the ground or i'm sorry I, I got that wrong it would be nice if the distribution centers the corporations the big money would take care of it right um the farmers are responsible to dig their own holes and dump tons and tons of potatoes in these holes and bury them why because there's no way to get these many potatoes out to the general public because of centralization and the distribution centers 
well, why would they take them in and distribute them with their trucks if there's no profit? So they leave it on the farmers and farmers across Idaho are bearing, ton bearing tons of potatoes, which by the way, are a resilient plant and could be distributed for the betterment of everyone. Mm -hmm. But the farmers are, feel sad in the middle because there's no way to get it. How would they get it to everyone without the distribution network? It's that's insane. centralized. Yeah. It's like, um, I think of it like a leaky water system in an old city. <laughs> as long as you can maintain enough pressure, it doesn't matter how much water you lose. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. <It> killed me. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're not going to replace the pipes just because they're leaking. We just need to increase the pressure. <laughs> as long as people get their water, that's all that matters. Well, so that's what's happening. It falls apart. Right? <laughs> well, we're starting to see that in some of these cities, um, I think in a couple instances where, you know, the pipes do burst and because they just keep putting water pressure in, like, it's just a really The power large... system is the same way. It's not designed, it's also not designed for efficiency, but it's a massive centralized distribution system. And they just have to mega, mega, mega energize the lines because there's there's resistance, right? There's heat. So the electricity only travels so far. We haven't found that zero resistance material yet, but copper's close. So we're sending power and we just charge lines to the highest amount we can so that it just achieves the coverage. Although majority of that energy is wasted in the lines and the distribution network to begin with. And then you think about one, you know, one power line or a a transformer for a neighborhood that steps down the voltage so that you don't fry your home's electrical grid. Um, you know, that goes out and then it takes out a whole bunch of stuff because it's just this massive like output of energy just to get things electrified. There's nothing smart about it. There's nothing resilient about it. It's just we this is 1.0. I mean, we built all this stuff with like New Deal money way back in the day. We're talking about post 30s, 40s, before the war type stuff, because we used a lot of this stuff. Um, the 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 freeways. Those were Truman. I mean, those came later. I think the interstates, those came during the 50s, 50s, 60s, something like that. Um, hey, Dave, you know, go head out on Route 66. But, you know, we, we have all these really old, massive centralized systems that just are way outside their lifespans. <laughs> and food distribution is falling apart and people are starving. And we need to redesign. It's time for us to go local more often in more places. We got to figure oh, out how man. to do that. And diversity is key. You said we it's... have one type of potato, two no. types, three types of potatoes. We need to have more types that grow in different climates because we don't know where the climate's going to go. Right. Right. And that is that is a good, good rant. And right. it gets us into, <laughs> no, no, that's what I want from you more often. And, and this is where we want to get into the environmental sustainability and jobs through community investment, right? Like, so when we get down to, when we get down to it, and and I, I hope you all know that, I, I don't feel like, and this isn't even on purpose, I don't feel like Michael and I are throwing around moving targets here. Uh, we really believe that a small business investment is needed. I'm pro stimulus, I'm pro all of this money that is going to the front, but it needs to come to the front. It needs to do a full march to the american people like let us vote with our feet. yes and let's deleverage the risk on the small business side we have so much insurance we have so much care and tax cuts for big companies but so little 
so little help, so real, like real help, real assistance, a real floor for small businesses. Now, if you give every American a floor, you give every small business an opportunity to start and to grow. I always worry that we, you know, focus too much on complaining about what's going on. So I know yeah. we're being really good about timing today. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to put us on a bit of a rant on some solutions. So here's Perfect. my thought, bringing 20% production into the U S is going to be difficult. And frankly, companies would probably fudge it up because they don't know what they're doing. Um, big companies. So I don't think we should bring 20% in like you open your factories again and dust them off. No, no, no. You bring it into small businesses. You have local businesses manufacture your product uh, just because you're already outsourcing it to a third party in China. So what's the risk if you do it in the US, right? So 20% small business. So we, we restrict it. You have to have resiliency, for, for products and services that are essential to the US economy. And, and, you, and you don't also make it your own company. That resiliency makes sense to me since we've already been practicing it in other nations. Mm. Um, and why don't we try it here, right? So that's yeah. a small business solution, I think. And if prices go up, because that's always, well, American jobs cost more, prices may go up. We may experience inflation, which we've been hearing about and haven't seen in a long time. So be it. What a better reason to establish that floor, give everybody that basic income so that we can help adjust on the bottom end of the scale for the price increases that are going to most affect everybody, anybody who needs to eat. You know, I think everybody should have some base and, and tax returns, stimulus, you know, whatever you want to call it, we've already demonstrated it. We've already been doing it. And a lot of local places are starting to test out their own universal basic income pilots for different groups. Those are all private, private donation funded. I mean, I'm talking about expanding earned income credit. We are talking about earned income credit, other, other mechanisms that already exist for giving people a stimulus check every month. And and then people really feel a little bit more safe, a little more stable. The economy can move at a fundamental pace. And, and small businesses may feel like they can take more risk or more people can throw their hat into the ring. And that's even without adjusting, looking at the tax burden on small businesses for hiring employees, et cetera, et cetera, right? There's, there's a lot of mechanisms, a lot of controls we have to help spur local growth for communities coast to coast in this country you provide locally you give locally you make you you you, you invest and and if you can't do it you distribute to the citizens on the ground that know best how to use those funds and i think that's really the focus of this this small business ideal and it's not going to fix everything we don't think that centralization is bad but if there's no market to compete with centralization, if you've systematically turned the lever on, on, on small business, then we need a little help to, to turn the lever back, right? To say, okay, okay, so let's, let's pull it back. Um, and let's say, and, and we're not saying dismantle. Like, again, we're, we are not a pro distribution of wealth. We are not pro anarchy. There is a very organized system here that works of laws that we, we all abide by. Uh, most citizens uh, that get it abide by our set of laws. And all I'm saying is that the laws need to change to say, 
it is inappropriate for us to subsidize major corporations when there are small businesses closing in the same town, right? There should be small businesses opening as Walmart opened. And I know we already failed there, but it's the best example where I can say where we know statistically there was an impact on the small business environment that existed, right? You tell me otherwise, this is the only group that acutely affected the small businesses across the United States because they moved into small towns where they would operate at a loss even. Um, so this corporation, specifically, we should have made sure that stores were opening on Main Street while Walmarts were opening. And that's takes, uh, that takes, it's not it's not a matter of we don't have the money. Again, it's priorities. We've said that time and time again. It's priorities. I yeah. bet you the Wal the Walton family or whomever is involved, um, they they have a bunch of tax cuts right now, folks. They're one of the richest people in the world. They don't need they they don't need their stores to do better. No, no, we need we need people to be able to do better. <laughs> For each uh, each other and and their families and themselves, not necessarily these these companies. Real pioneers of centralization. Walmart. (laughs) (laughs) Real pioneers of centralization. Walmart. But you're you're right. And and the 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 competition side. I don't I don't want to throw you off. No, please. Another direction, but just to because I brought up something that's like universal basic income. I just want to throw out there that the healthcare is the other side of that coin um, for people. Right. And, and, and I understand actually the other side of the coin of healthcare is food. <laughs> so healthy, local, sustainable food production, right. Will reduce, will 100% better than any pharmaceutical medication out there is good food um, that's grown well and picked and eaten local and all that. Right. You flip that coin. But for healthcare, everybody's going to need it, right? And you don't, and, and especially for mental health issues, because we have such a sick system that people have a hard time adjusting themselves to, quote unquote. <laughs> but ultimately, everybody needs that healthcare as well. It's not just giving people money if what they need is healthcare. Um, and so that has to be available. And whether it's increasing competition by having a single payer option added to public, you know, markets. You know, and then again, on the tax side, providing people the the offset to help them cover it if they don't make enough money to pay for healthcare. I mean, we have all of these mechanisms today. It's a matter of tuning them towards a different purpose than for profit only. You can make profit and profit and not profit only, right? Profit and health, profit and the betterment of society, profit and people. People. Profit and people. Let's try to coin that. We think so. Maybe on a, another shirt. This is the shirt episode because I've talked, I've spoken about them twice. Profit people. We got to change it up, right? So it, it's it's really that, and, and I, I I like where you're at. So so one thing I want to remind the people is that our government has the power. So it was not spoken about a lot. It was controversial for a little while, but there was a talk about a liability limitations. Uh, in regards to COVID, right? So the government, the federal government was talking about saying to your employer, hey, it's okay if your people get sick, it's not going to be your fault, right? So if the federal government has the ability to limit or talk about limiting that liability, 
that same government has the ability to say to all landowners, you are not allowed to have an empty lot. You have zero liability for anyone that opens a garden on your lot. So if you designated a public garden, zero liability, whatever happens there is related to, you know, the maintenance of that garden. That, that is not, if somebody falls and hurts themselves, you as a landowner, we understand as the government, that's where the government can come in and help small business mm-hmm. and communities, right? Not limiting liability for our employers. Yeah, or where an insurance company will come in and say, no, 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 you can't eliminate that liability because we have to sell a policy to cover that liability. What do you think the lobbyists are doing? So most people hear lobbyists and, and that's that same issue. The butcher, the butcher analogy we talk about, you've removed it. So all you understand is lobbyists, oh, lobbyists, but you don't really understand perhaps, I'm sorry, I shouldn't talk like that. You may not care to know it's hard the to know details. yeah how like, well, who wants what they're to? actually doing on the ground what is that how does it affect yeah. you well a new insurance policy can either exist or not exist based on the success or failure of lobbying right a product that a company wants to sell i mean this is huge what's more fundamental to the economy than a product to sell not all products are made equal perfect Thank you for summing it up because I didn't know where I was going with that. (laughs) Oh, this has been so much fun, Ray. And I think, I think we're at a stopping point. How do you feel? Yeah. You know what? And, you know, and, and we're doing timing now. So we're trying to be better about wrapping this up. So let us know, like, we're looking for that feedback. We're looking for your ratings, honestly. Um, And we're not just asking for mid roll. That's how serious it is. But the, the structure of this, are you enjoying it? Um, don't just enjoy it rate us uh, so you can help us get the word out Uh, and in the end just thank you for listening awesome thank you ray we have been your hosts thank you again to mr raymond wong jr and thank you mr piscatelli i truly feel like we have been trying to stop the blockage which is hampering small business (laughs) it's been something that's for sure For more information on this and other episodes, head over to citizenduga.com and click on podcast. While you're there, hit up our contact us page and leave a comment. We'd love to hear from the community. Special thanks to you, our listeners. We save the best for last. You are the best and you have been for years. Thank you for your support. We know it's painful and we love you. Intro music sampled from OK Class by Ozzy Jock under Creative Commons license through freemusicarchive.org. Other music provided royalty-free through Fizzly and Studios, Inc.